Welcome to a public lecture podcast from the University of Bath. In this lecture, June Ward talks about the charity Hounds for Heroes. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, especially those of you uh, I see so often at these lectures. I, I feel a bit like poacher turned gamekeeper. Right, um, I'm going to divide tonight's lecture up into two parts, and the first could be called A Man and His Dog, and the second half I will show you the official uh, presentation material from Hounds for Heroes. So... How did it start? Well, it wouldn't have happened at all uh, without this man and this dog um, and four accidents, two life-threatening and two life-enhancing. And we're going to talk about all of them. And we're going to start with the car crash that this man here, Alan Payton, Parton, um, was involved in in Muscat uh, when the Navy was visiting the Oman, and he was a chief petty officer, and he had a very bad car crash, and he finished up with brain damage, um, a selective memory and a fragmented memory, and no <coughs> recall at all. That meant you, if you asked him whether he wanted tea and coffee or coffee, he couldn't answer, because he couldn't remember the word tea long enough to select it. Um, but... On the other hand, a selective memory meant that he was able to remember the very sophisticated uh, weapons systems that he had developed for the Navy uh, and run. He was able to build his own computer. And most extraordinary of all, uh, when he was in hospital down in the south of England on one occasion, his wife, Sandra, got um, a call, telephone call from an ex-colleague. And this ex-colleague said, we have Alan here. And she said, where? And this man said, Glasgow. <laughs> well, um, Alan worked here, and he used to go up and down to uh, Scotland on a shuttle ticket, um, often as many times as four times a week. Uh, and he'd found a shuttle ticket, and he'd used it and gone up to Scotland. Now, what you have to take into account is this is a man with no recall, but also no voice because unfortunately his accident destroyed his voice. And Alan himself says he hasn't the faintest idea how he got there, but he feels that there must be some element of automatic pilot. Right, the seriously sad element of this accident is that it wiped his emotional slate clean, leaving only one emotion, and that was anger. And that meant that he didn't remember being married, he didn't recognize his wife or children, uh, his mother, or any of his relations. And to give you an idea of what it's like to be uh, emotionally dead, when Endel was handed over to him by the woman who'd had him for a year, she was in floods of tears. And Alan had no idea either of what the emotion behind it meant or indeed what tears meant. He initially didn't need a chair, but he had a second episode, and he is now in a chair for, for life. Now, the second accident concerns the uh, arrival of Endal, this amazing dog, in 1997. Now, by this time, Alan had left the, uh, the Navy and used to go to a day centre, and they didn't discuss weapons there, but they did teach him to make rock cakes, 
And whatever he thought of that, what he detested was having his normal routine interrupted. And the bus forgot to pick him up. And Sandra, his wife, was working at Canine Partners for Independence, uh, training dogs. And she wasn't about to lose a whole day uh, because, of, uh, uh, because of Alan. So she bundled him into the car with his chair and took him down to the center. And when he arrived there, this very angry man went over into the furthest corner and sat there in a filthy mood, rejecting any friendly advances from any of the people uh, at the center. But there was a dog who could do better than that. And Endel came over and gave him a present. Now, because of Alan's memory, he's not sure whether it was a toy or it could have been something from the supermarket shelves that are set up there to train the dogs uh, to shop in a supermarket. Uh, anyway, Alan didn't even look down. And n under normal circumstances, when you uh, give something to a dog when they're training like this, they're given a treat. But Alan, of course, didn't know anything about a treat, so he didn't take any notice of the dog. And I would suggest that any other dog would have given up, but not Endel. Endel went backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards until Alan had a very unsteady pile of things in his lap. <laughs> and the amazing thing was that Alan then looked down and smiled. Now, that doesn't sound earth-shattering to us, but it was the first time he'd smiled since his accident. In other words, in six years. And Alan says that it made the, the muscles around his mouth feel very odd indeed. Right, come on for the third accident happened sometime later. And it was when they were visiting Crafts. Um, and the man who crashed into, or woman, the driver who crashed into the wheelchair, uh, there are no words to describe them because he obviously drove off. And the reason we know what happened is because of the CCTV. And what happened was Alan had been thrown out of the chair, which was crushed, um, and he was unconscious. And Endel went over and he pulled his jacket until he got him into the recovery position. He covered him with a blanket. He then went, went off and searched for the um, phone, which was under a, a car, and put it near Alan's head. Now, Alan thinks that Endel was alerted to the gravity of the situation because Alan made no attempt to use it. So Endel went off, he got the help, and the paramedics arrived. And they put Alan into the ambulance, uh, and Endel said, I'm coming too. <clears throat> and the ambulance people said, no, we don't take dogs. And Endel said, well, you may not, but you're going to take me. And so he went with Alan to the hospital, and had the same reaction when he got to the hospital. But anyway, he sat beside Alan's head uh, in the hospital. And in the next door cubicle, there was a little girl who was in great distress. And so Endel decided he would do something about it. So he stuck his nose through the uh, curtain. And Alan doesn't know whether it was the shock of seeing this large dog. But anyway, suddenly all was quiet. Endel, it had an Endel effect. Right now, the PDSA, the People's Dispensary for Sick Animals, uh, have uh, what the equivalent of a Victoria Cross for animals, uh, animals in conflict. And they were so impressed with this amazing dog that they decided to widen the scope. And this is Endel wearing <clears throat> the gold Dickon medal. It's called the Dickon medal after Joan Dickon, who was the, uh, the founder of the PDSA.
Right, the fourth accident is the one I think probably all of you may know about. And it was the cash machine uh, episode. And Anne, uh, Alan had taught Endel to use the cash machine because Alan had no feeling down the right-hand side of his body. Um, and so couldn't get anything out of his bag at the back of the chair. And so Endel could get his keys or his wallet or his credit card. And he was taught which way up the credit card should be and which end should go in first. Um, and they did, and then he would put the card in, uh, Alan would punch in the number, and then Endel would retrieve the money and the card. And on one occasion, a man tapped Alan on the shoulder and said, wait a minute, wait a minute, I think my eyes are deceiving me. He said, I thought I saw the dog using the cash machine. <laughs> and Alan said yes. And this man said, could you do it again? And uh, Alan said certainly. So Alan obviously got £10 more than he uh, needed. But this man said, I'm a journalist, and I'm going to write about this amazing dog. And can I take a photograph? And Alan said certainly. Um, and Endel was too funny. Endel knew exactly what was going on. He posed with the card almost in the, uh, in the slot, you know, this is my best side sort of thing. Um, but this is how they became, <clears throat> they became famous. They became both um, nationally and internationally famous. All right, a word about this amazing dog. He had a thing called OCD, osteochronditis. And this means that the bones don't harden as they should. And Endel had, them, had it in his front paws. Um, and it was really given to Alan on the basis of, we don't think that he will ever make a proper assistance dog, but give it a go, see what you can do. And Alan trained Endel so well that they were invited to go on the advanced residential training course. Um, and they, they managed to pass. Well, this is another great milestone for Alan because he, this was the first thing he'd achieved since the accident. Um, they had a wobbly moment, or Endel had a senior moment. Um, all he had to do was to open the door, let Alan go through and close the door. Well, this was basic to Endel. But a couple of times he opened the door, let Alan through, and finished up on the wrong side of the door. Um, and so Alan decided to have to do something. So he opened the door, um, went through, uh, Endel opened the door, he went through, and Alan dropped his hanky. And that meant Endel would come through, pick up the hanky, and all was well. But Alan doesn't think that he was fooling the examiners because they were so impressed with this thinking dog. They'd seen him in Marks and Spencer's when they were shopping, and Endel worked out that the lift was actually worked by a beam. And so instead of bothering with leaping up to get the button, he just cut the beam with his nose. Um, another occasion when uh, Endel showed that he could use his brain, uh, he, uh, Alan forgot to shave. Uh, and he hated being dependent on anyone. Um, and so uh, he didn't like to ask someone to go and get his shaving things, but he was sitting rubbing his chin because he was uncomfortable. And Endel watched him very carefully, and then Endel went upstairs and got all his shaving things and brought them down. Now, he was definitely not trained to do that. Um, the Partons needed a new washing machine. And they went to one of these warehouses that have huge numbers, you know, banks of washing machines. Um, and a bright and shiny young salesman came up and said, can I help you? And the partner said, yes, we need a washing machine, the door of which the dog can open. <laughs> and the young 
uh, salesman. Alan said he could see this look go across his face. You know, I've got a real one here. And while he looked round for help, Endel went down and he opened every single washing machine. He worked all of them out. Um, and there was a group of children there, and they absolutely loved this, watching this dog going down, opening the washing machines. Right, now, Alan, um, Endel was very good with children. And there was a very sad little group who came to Canine Partners, and every single one of them had lost their fathers. And there was a little girl, and the shock of losing her father was so great that she had become mute, and no one could do anything to make her speak. And Alan said he was sitting there watching these kids with the dogs, and he suddenly realized that there was a special connection between Endel and the little girl. And watching carefully, he saw what was happening. Endel was actually copying her every gesture. So if she put her hand up to her face, Endel would put his paw up to his face. Or if she crossed her arms, Endel would cross his paws. And what's more, the little girl realized this. And so she started doing gestures to see whether Endel would copy, which indeed he did. And in the end, she let out a cry. She ran over, flung her arms around this amazing dog, and began to speak again. Right, then tragedy struck. Endel had a very, very bad go of osteochondritis, and the vet said, rest. Well, there was absolutely no way that um, Endel would rest anywhere near Alan. If Alan moved, uh, Endel moved. So he had to go into kennels and be confined, and he behaved abominably. He ate all the mats, and he barked himself hoarse. But the tragedy deepened when he came out because Alan said, I don't want him back. And this was a major shock to everyone. Um, but you have to realize what they could see was the amazing bond between this wonderful dog and the man. But you have to take into account that Alan was emotionally dead. And therefore, there wasn't the same bond between him and the dog. And so he said, no. He said, you can't have two cripples together. Um, and Sandra pointed out that uh, Endel hadn't asked to be a cripple any more than he had. And Alan then said, yes, but I don't want him back because he can be taken from me at any time. And that was true. Canine partners never give up uh, the ownership of their dogs. They're only lent out. But Sandra went to them and they said, okay, we'll make an exception. Um, we will guarantee that Endel can stay with Alan for the rest of Endel's life. But even that didn't convince Alan. And Alan and Sandra had a long discussion one night, and Sandra didn't seem to be getting anywhere. And then she had a bright idea. The next morning, she made no effort at all to help Alan to get up. And this very graphically showed Alan just how dependent he was on this amazing dog. So he said, could he go down to the center? And Sandra said she tried very hard not to look pleased. And when he got there, he said, I've changed my mind. Uh, I would like to have the dog back, please. Right. Um, huge media coverage. Because of the article, they were on practically every chat show. They were on breakfast television, um, Blue Peter. Blue Peter actually gave Endel a gold badge. And to give you some idea of how special you had to, get, to, to be to get a gold badge. The previous recipient was actually the Queen. Right, yes. Right. Um, as I say, huge media coverage. They were, they were 
very well known, and there were people always filming them. And the BBC were making um, a programme called Airport. And what they wanted was Alan um, and the dog going away. And Alan was packing, and Endel watched him very carefully, and then Endel went and got his bonios and put them in the case. <laughs> but... When they got to the checkout desk and the woman said, have you packed everything in this case yourself? <laughs> the television crew just cracked up. <laughs> if you say, well, no, actually the dog helped me, you'll be sectioned. <laughs> um, there was another film crew and the director said, will someone get my boom mic out of my bag? And Endel went across, rooted around in the man's bag and came back with the boom mic, much to the director's amazement. Um, he met the Queen. Um, he went first with a group from Canine Partners, um, but he met the Queen on, on various occasions, and she, of course, was fascinated by this amazing dog. Now, Endel retired at 10, um, and EJ, who you will see in the, um, in the official presentation, EJ came on the scene. Now, the system is that the new dog comes two years before the old one retires. And this is to ensure that you have absolute continuity. And the amazing thing is that Endel was so generous uh, with this newcomer. Now, Alan was very worried that he might forget this amazing dog, and so he had a portrait painted uh, of Endel. Now, I just want to um, compare life before Endel and after, because it has particular rele relevance to um, Hounds for Heroes. So you know that Alan was unable to get up and get dressed in the morning. Um, he couldn't go out in his chair because he had no traffic sense. Um, he couldn't read a book. He couldn't watch TV. Um, and worst of all, he was lashed to his family because he couldn't be left. The danger was he might turn on um, the gas, for instance, and not light it. And so he was a danger to the family and to himself. And so he became institutionalized. As you would expect, of course, hospitals are set up uh, for the disabled, and you also have a huge uh, number of personnel to look after you. But also he had his chums. There were five of them in one hospital he was in, and one of them was a very amusing bloke. Uh, and they were sitting around, and he said, do you realize that if one of us got up and left, the other four would spend the rest of the day trying to work out who it was who'd gone out of the door? <laughs> Alan actually had two attempts at suicide, and I have his words describing this period in his life. He said, I would sit in my own little insular world, not even trying to communicate with anyone else. I told a support worker that it was all doom and gloom at home. I'm stuck with and don't want to be with an angry woman whom I don't know and don't love. And Sandra's words are, I had the additional responsibility of caring for a hostile, sullen, incapacitated man who inhabited my husband's body. He would glare at me with a mixture of hate and rage. We were two unhappy, lonely people existing together in the same house and only managing by the skin of our teeth. And she was right, because on one occasion she went to cons consult a solicitor about the possibility of divorce. And really the very saddest statistic is that of the 98 seriously wounded troops who came back from the first Gulf War, only five marriages survived. 
Right. Life after Endel. Well, obviously, um, Alan was independent. Um, no one had to look after him now. And he was also mobile. Uh, he and Endel could go out in his wheelchair. Getting up in the morning, Endel used to bring everything, his clothes and his toothbrush, and he was even taught to lift the loo seat. Um, and Sandra said typical, that Endel was a typical male. He never remembered to put it down again. <laughs> right, um, they could go anywhere. They could go on buses and trains uh, and on planes. And the really good news was, because Alan never turned down a single invitation to take Endel anywhere, he had to interact with people. And as a result, his speech came back. And that meant that they could go to a hotel, the two of them. Um, and this story has a happy ending because Endel's unconditional, unqualified love finally cured uh, Alan's emotional problems. Now, Alan says it's because Endel used to put his paws on his lap and cover him in great slobbery kisses. But Sandra made some inquiries, and it is a medical mystery, but apparently very rarely, where one part of the brain dies, the brain can actually construct a new pathway, and she believes that that's what happened. Um, and the really good news was they decided to get married again. Because Alan had absolutely no memory of his first wedding, uh, they decided to get married again. Endel died on the 13th of March, 2009. Now we want to go... No, wrong way. Right. Hans for Heroes. Uh, we are a relatively new charity... Um, we, as yet, there are no part, um, partner dogs in service. They go into service um, next year, the first lot. Um, and, but it is important to arrange, to, to raise the awareness um, of Hounds for Heroes' work. Everyone, everyone in this room, I'm sure, has a mind picture of injured servicemen coming back, not, and not least the coffins. And Hans for Heroes says that we owe these men such an enormous debt of gratitude that this Hans for Heroes is our way of saying thank you. Now, okay, am I going the right way? Yes, this is our mission statement to provide specially trained assistant dogs to injured and disabled men and women of the UK Armed Forces and Emergency Services. Um, through this, we aim to improve their quality of life and that of their family. We will provide a sense of camaraderie and increase their sense of ability. Now, this is the first squadron. They're all called squadrons, and Hans for Heroes uh, intend to um, train two a year, and this is the first lot. Uh, and their names are all either military or service-related. And name, um, I'm naming from the left. You've got Monty after the field marshal. The next one is Colonel, after David Syme. Flanders, Fields, in other words, the First World War. Uh, Yomper, after the Royal Marine, Richard Hollington. Um, he was the 300th British serviceman killed in Afghanistan. Then you have Juno, the D-Day uh, beach, and Red, the little one, that I think is absolutely enchanting. And he is named after the Red Arrow who died, you probably remember, uh, a man called John Egging. 
So now the first squadron, this squadron started in October 2011, and the second one is coming, is arriving now. Um, <clears throat> but the, the eventual idea is that there should be training centers all over the country. Um, right, now Endel actually was taught 100 commands, but the interesting thing is he was bilingual. Because when Alan couldn't speak, he was taught by sign language. Uh, and then, of course, when Alan um, learned to speak, you get the ordinary commands. But this is terribly important because it does mean that if you have a serviceman who has had his face blown off or, um, or for any reason can't speak, then the dogs can be trained just as well um, with sign language. And this is Alan's, what he calls his light bulb moment. Um, this is the poppy appeal of 2009. Endel, you'll, you'll remember, had died in March 2009, and here Alan was asked to head up the poppy appeal. And when he did so, he discovered that we have currently in this country 900,000 injured servicemen. And this was such a shock to Alan, he decided he must do something. And it was done on the, ba ba on the basis that oaks from little acorns grow. Uh, the eventual idea is that, um, as I say, we will have training uh, centers all over the country. But Hans for Heroes is specifically for these injured servicemen. So they started in January 2010. Um, and one of the reasons Alan thought it was so important was that the standard profile for um, an assistance dog is a woman of 40 with MS. Now, that is a very long way from a young serviceman of 20 who's lost both his legs. And that is really the big difference. Right. They formed a team. Who are we? They formed a team of um, trustees. They are all voluntary, and they are serving officers from not only the armed forces, but Hands for Heroes widened the scope to the emergency services as well. They have experts in finance and media and lots of <coughs> volunteers. And in April 2010, from someone's sitting room, they started the first appeal, and it was called Puppies on Parade. And they decided that they would keep it in-house, that is, within the services. But when the um, idea got out, it became completely uncontrollable. It developed a dynamic of its own. And they actually raised the target figure, which was £100,000 for five puppies, uh, in 12 months earlier than they expected. Uh, uh, as I say, uh, a dynamic of their own. Right, now this is the training centre. Uh, I was being trained there 10 days ago. And the seriously good news about this is that BAE Systems, when Hans for Heroes first got this, said, right, we'll give you all the furniture. And BAE, BAE Systems have actually furnished the whole thing. Now, it's... Um, Ramstein near Petersfield and this is very convenient to the station is quite close it's quite close to Southampton uh, airport but also um, you've got bases of the three services or the services all around them 
Um, Hans the Hero is a very happy talking of BAE systems to accept things uh, if they're things that they need because this means that it frees up the money that they have to do the job that they're there for. And the really amazing thing at the moment is that they currently are spending 10p in the pound on administration, which is very unusual. Most, um, most new societies, when they set up, actually spend 50p in the pound. Right, dogs. They're recognised, of course, to have very great therapeutic uh, benefits. Uh, quite apart from anything else, you've got to get up in the morning if you have a dog. Now, Alan uh, dealt with a man who decided he wanted a dog, and Alan discovered that this man hadn't left his house, his home, since 1996. And Alan, he had a post-traumatic stress disorder. And Alan pointed out you couldn't have a dog if you couldn't exercise it. And some little while later, his wife rang Alan and said, I just want you to know where my husband is. He's outside raising money for Hounds for Heroes. Um, obviously, a dog's got to be fed, exercised. It's also a great social enabler and leveler. I mean, all of us who have dogs know you can't go out for a walk without talking to someone. But most important in this context, they are non-judgmental. So that if the dog is given a man who has no legs or has had half his face blown off, the dog doesn't care, compare him with any other people. This is his, his master. It makes no difference to him how the person looks. And that is tremendously important to someone who is very seriously damaged. Um, constant affection, loyalty, unconditional love, <coughs> companionship, faithfulness. They really are man's best friend. Now, Alan actually said that Endel and EJ replaced the camaraderie he lost when he left the Navy. How do we help? Well, we're not, the dogs are not just a companion. They are a lifeline, as you heard, with Endel. Um, they can help people lacking hands, feet, and voices. Now, this is EJ. This is uh, Endel's successor, and he's posting a letter. And this is actually terribly important because if you're in a wheelchair, and particularly if you've lost legs, you can't lean forward. The danger is you will topple out. And EJ actually was trained whenever Alan went into the pub, um, he would put the money up on the, uh, on the counter while Alan went and found a table. And then he'd bring the beer over to Alan. The publican would know how much it, it cost and um, what Alan drank. Right. Um, Hunter here has looked at 170 different breeders before they selected their dogs. Um, and they only ever take one dog from a litter uh, because it's possible that there could be some problem in the future. If you've got two pups, you've got two problems. Um, they test them for temperament. Um, they have health tests and pedigree and so on. They're assessed while they're still in the litter. And one of the techniques that's sometimes used is they will take a pup from a litter and put him on his own in a room and then watch him. And the pup who rushes round in a panic is not going to make a good assistance dog. Neither is the pup who just sits in the middle of the room 
The one they want is the one who snuffles around thinking, don't know about this, but I think I'd better find out about it. Uh, and that is the one that is likely to make a good assistance dog. And they are put with the puppy parents at seven to eight weeks. And they have to learn uh, basic commands. Um, Alan actually said, it is no use to us if the dog can work a cash machine but doesn't come when he's called. It, he then has, the dog then has six to 14 months uh, training before going on to advanced training, which is five days a week, where they actually work all week and spend the weekends with the family. And um, Hans for Heroes are using Labradors and Golden Retrievers only because of their trusted record. They're also the right size, temperament, and tra trainability. They have a long history. Right, these are what, call, are what call puppy volunteers. They're looking after uh, their, the dogs. Um, and the dogs must be acclimatized. Um, they have to be acclimatized to all situations. Um, Hans for Heroes calls them bomb-proof. That means they're going to be taking shops, trains, buses, and large, noisy crowds. Actually, an aircraft carrier is optional. And how do we train them? Well, the training is flexible because it's entirely dependent on the dog. Some dogs will learn quite quickly and others much, much slower. Now, the first two years while their training costs £5,000 and it's spent on food, insurance, vaccinations, vet bills, equipment, travelling expenses and kenneling. And Hounds for Heroes are quite different from any other similar organisation because it was decided right at the beginning that they would be responsible for all the expenses of the dog, for the whole of the dog's life. Now, Alan found when he was first, first came home, like so many of these young uh, troops, that it was very difficult to pay the bills. And therefore, they certainly didn't need additional expense of a dog. So that is why they wanted £20,000 per dog. This ensures that they can pay for everything for the dog's uh, life. Right. This is the, uh, the final part of the training where um, they are being specific trained. That means they are being trained for a specific injury. And um, they will actually have two weeks uh, residential with the future only, uh, owner. And then you have consolidation. This is two to three months when the centre will be supporting the, um, the new owner and the dog. And finally, a graduation, when the dog and the person graduates. The, do the, uh, the dog works for eight years because the dogs are all uh, retired at ten years old. Um, and you've already had two years of uh, training. And then the dog beca can become a family pet if you wanted to. That means it can stay with the man who's had, or woman who's had it all the time, or it can go to a member of the family, or it'll go to the retired assistance dogs applicants, of which we have a long list. These are very popular dogs um, when, uh, when they retire, so to speak. And this is one it annoyed me intensely when... Um, you may have read about David Blunkett getting a new dog. And the way it was presented in the press, you would have thought that the other old dog had been put down. Um, no, they remain with the family. Um, they're not taken away. 
Um, and the success, as you heard with EJ, is introduced, as I say, two years before to acclimatize him. They learn 50 commands. They have to learn to pick up objects, to open doors, washing machine or pub. Um, and it, amazingly, with modern technology, they can organize it so that a door opens or closes to the dog's bark, the specific dog's bark. This is where someone uh, can no longer speak. Um, and one bark and the door will open and two, the door will close. Uh, they operate cash points, lifts, and most important, bath plugs. If someone passes out in the, in the bath, the first thing the dog has to do is to get the plug out. Because if he goes off and gets help, uh, he may find the, the person is drowned by the time he comes back. So the dogs are trained always to take the bath plug out before they go for help. And then they are trained in all social activities. So if you have someone who, for instance, is fascinated by football or rugger, the dog will have gone to matches often, and it will be trained to know that if there's a sudden noise, it's not something, um, it's, it won't give him a fright. He'll know it's all part of the fun. Right, we have a list of 50 applicants um, at the current time, uh, and the first dog says... whether you got your injury in uh, peacetime or in conflict. And what's more, there's no time limit. In other words, it's not war-specific. It doesn't matter whether you were damaged in Northern Ireland or Afghanistan or any war in between. Um, and they don't mind whether you need a wheelchair or not. Uh, they will also deal with the less visible uh, conditions, things like brain damage and post-traumatic um, stress disorder. Each applicant is very seriously assessed. Um, they are looked at in their own homes um, and they will be assessed with the aid of the family and the family doctor and um, a panel of professionals. Um, but you do have to have been in rehab for two years uh, before you are considered. So how are we doing? Well, as you can see, we're going to have a, a ball on HMS Warrior in the summer. Um, and there's also this Booper, Great South Run. There are a lot of people in, running in that for, um, for Hounds for Heroes. And Crufts. Um, my husband, Graham, and I went up to Crufts this year to see Hounds for Heroes in operation. And they raise a huge amount of money because, of course, they are up there. You've got wall-to-wall -wall dog people. And they realize just how vital it, this particular um, service is. So how's the money raised? Well, actually, you name it, and someone has done it for Hounds for Heroes. Um, uh, one of the more unusual ones was a doggy swimathon. Uh, it, it was in a hydrotherapy pool. But they've just recently had some money from a group of troops who are on one of the most dangerous outposts in Afghanistan. And it's a place where things are constantly being buzzed over the wall. Um, and they decided to have a no-swear day. And they raised an enormous amount of money. <laughs>
Right, these are the people who support Hounds. Uh, you heard about uh, BAE Systems. Um, people fundraise, uh, they get donations. Um, and I'm sure you'll be pleased to hear I haven't brought, I haven't brought a collecting box today, but I have brought two dog bowls. <laughs> and where does the money go? I think this little puppy looks as though he's just about to drop off. Uh, he's so sweet. Yes, um, uh, everyone, or not everyone, but the vast majority of people in Hounds for Heroes are volunteers. And that includes the trustees, uh, the puppy parents. Um, they have very, very few um, part-time staff, but they're there working in training and admin uh, to ensure continuity, confidentiality, and consistency, uh, and also to keep the higher standards. Um, they have a wish list. And the top of the wish list, they badly need um, a van which it can take a wheelchair and dog or wheelchairs and dogs uh, that is specially adapted. Uh, they're hoping to, or they are organizing, regional fundraising groups. Um, and they are extending the range of this merchandise. You've got T-shirts and you've got, um, I'm wearing um, Hunt for Heroes brooch. You've got dog tags uh, and also the stickers to go on the back of the car. They're working currently on corporate presentation with music and information packs. So how can you help? Well, you can go in and have a look on the website, but you might be interested to hear what happened to me. Um, oh, I live in Sydney Buildings, and there are a number of people here who also live in Sydney Buildings, and we carol sing every year. And I can't remember whether it's three or four years we've done it. But um, I read an article in the Daily Mail just before Christmas about Hans for Heroes. So the money went this year to Hans, uh, and I got a letter back saying, thank you very much for the money. We're a very new charity. We need volunteers, and these are the skills we need. And if you have any of these not interested, will you please contact us? They definitely don't miss a trick. <laughs> right. Questions, but I'd just like to answer the obvious ones before we give you a go. Um, are we part of Assistance Dogs UK, which is the umbrella organization? No, we haven't been going long enough. You have to have been going for two years. And Assistance Dogs International, no, again, because you have to have dogs actually working. So that will come too. So that means we are completely independent. Uh, we are not part of Help for Heroes, but we did ask them whether we could, they approved of our using the name. Uh, we are not part of the NHS, and we are not part of the MOD. Now, we have a much wider scope, as I told you, because we include the um, emergency services as well, and we're not battle-specific, and uh, our funding is unique. But the bottom line is, it is our objective to take the dis out of disability and leave just ability. Thank you very much. <laughs>